Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now on today's episode, we'll be covering a profession that is very different from some of the more traditional jobs that we've covered on the series so far. And that is, what is it like to work as a sommelier? And a sommelier, in very simple terms, is a wine professional, but there's a lot more to it. And so to really help us understand this space, our guest today is a very, very accomplished and actually a very cool person. His name is Jan Konetsky. And I guess the thing which immediately stands out about him is that he has worked as a sommelier across several Michelin star restaurants, and that ultimately culminated in him being head sommelier at restaurant Gordon Ramsay. And I'm sure the name Gordon Ramsay is familiar to you. He is a celebrity chef that is most known for coming in very popular reality TV shows such as Hell's Kitchen and MasterChef. Uh, but coming back to Jan, he was named the UK Sommelier of the Year in 2012. And more recently, he's now the Director of Wine at the Four Seasons Hotel and also the Ambassador for Chateau Latour, which is one of the most premium wine brands globally. So yes, he's super talented, super accomplished. But as you'll see in the discussion, he is very nice to talk to and very humble. So I hope you enjoyed this discussion. And with that, let's welcome Jan. Jan, hello. Welcome Hi, to the show. hello. Hello. Hello, Sonali. How are you? Thank you so much for taking the time. I'm so excited about this discussion, although I should preface things with saying that I have no idea about wine. I, I enjoy drinking wine, but that's about it. So I'll be asking you a lot of silly questions. And I warned you. Please ask away. Then there's no silly questions. And I really mean that. I think um, as a professional, we are sometimes a little bit hooked up with the nerdy facts. And if you are wine enjoying just for the reason of drinking it, and you're comfortable with say, tasting a wine, saying you like it or you don't like it, that's already a perfect level. <laughs> All right. Well, that that's good to know. One of my recent exposures to this profession was through this documentary called Somme on Netflix. It's about this exam called Master Sommelier exam. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah, absolutely. I saw the, I saw the, uh, I saw the movie. I think it was a, a great uh, intro to people about the exam about sommelier life as well. Yeah. And uh, so I am curious about, let me, let me start things out by asking you that, can a good sommelier, and so that means like, can you, can you identify a wine just by drinking it and smelling it without having any idea what's there in the glass? Um, yes, I would, uh, I would hope I can. Um, I myself have been uh, taking part in the master sommelier examination over the last few years. So oh, I wow. passed my, my tasting bits, I, I passed twice. And also uh, part of my um, education and other part of competition life is to give in a glass of wine, looking at it, smelling it, tasting it, and uh, then coming up with a conclusion where the wine is coming from. So we're talking about the region, the country, the grape variety, the vintage, and uh, sometimes even the sub-regions or the, the classified vineyard. Yeah, yeah, that, that documentary is really amazing. Actually, can you maybe briefly describe what that exam is since we're talking about it? 
Um, yes, I mean, the exam is uh, one of the hardest uh, wine exams in the world. You have uh, a very low pass rate on the very final exam, which is uh, the Master Sommelier Diploma Examination. In this exam, you have to uh, you have three different parts. One part is the tasting part. You get given six different uh, different wines, usually three whites, three reds, and you have 24 minutes to tell for each wine all the information I just said, from the origin to grape variety, and you have to describe them accurately. The second part is a theory part where you have a lot of crazy questions from soil compositions down in uh, in Hungary to uh, many different American AVAs or uh, legislations and laws of wine production in Austria or other words in Europe and the world. And last but not least, you have a restaurant scenario, which is basically challenging all the skills that you use as a sommelier in a restaurant from decantation, handling complaints, making calculations, putting a wine list together um, in basically very, very little time. Yeah, yeah, that looked like a very stressful exam in the documentary also. I'm, so I, I want to get into all of these things, like, you know, when, you, when you're thinking about wine, what are the things that you're thinking about, like vintage, etc. But before we get into those details, why don't you take us back to the beginning and tell us when did you develop an interest in wine and how did that happen? Um, I have to say that I came to wine not as a first profession, Initially, uh, I uh, started to work, my work like as a baker in the bakery of my parents in northern Germany, and um, I didn't I didn't stay so long at home working, mm. and I started traveling, but working as a baker. And at a certain time, I I enjoyed the talking and meeting people more than working in a bakery. So I started in hospitality. A couple of years down the line, I ended up working as a waiter in a fine dining restaurant. In, uh, in northern Germany, and um, I was working alongside this sommelier, and I just loved what he did in a restaurant. He knew, obviously, the wines. He knew all the details about the food. He was able to read the guests and to apply himself to the situation they're in. So there would be uh, a couple of businessmen or business ladies sitting down, so it would be uh, rather serious. It would complement the choice of the host. On the next table, you have an anniversary couple who have matching wines with the dishes, and he would make a big show for them and mm-hmm. make them laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there were three different ladies in their 60s or 70s, and uh, they would consider having uh, three glasses of off-dry rosé or a bottle, and they would uh, he would uh, joke around and say, oh, lady, we can give it to you intravenous if you, uh, <laughs> if you don't finish the bottle. And um, all this had a lightness and the seriousness in the same time and uh, the tradesmanship fascinated me and I said like well if I stay in hospitality that will be the job that I would like to do and that was the beginning of the journey. Wow that's very interesting so, so it was almost by accident that you were working as a waiter in this restaurant and there was this really nice sommelier also working in the restaurant and that kind of uh, initiated your interest in this space. I mean did you yeah, yeah like, did you think was there any thought process that you went through as you were thinking about getting into this as a profession, like you could have just been like, hey, you know, I really like wine and this is interesting. Was it a decision at all for you to actually get into it as a profession? Because it sounds like no one in your family was familiar with this. So this was very unknown territory for you. 
Um, you're absolutely right. The decision or the process, decision process I went through while working in different parts of hospitality. Mm. So I was based within a hotel and made an apprenticeship uh, for restaurant management. And I saw many different parts of hospitality life, from uh, the food and beverage part to the back of house part to the financial part, human resources. And um, I, what tempted me the most was the depth of knowledge you have to uh, you have to bring to the table without overbordering guests with the details. And it's very sensual. We talk a lot about flavors and tastes and. Uh, uh, and that really fascinated me. Mm. But also the contact with the guests. Sometimes you f- you meet people and they're super passionate about wine and they start to become a sommelier. But um, if they're not in the same way passionate about looking after guests and meeting people, maybe the restaurant is not the best place for them. Maybe you want to be a wine professional working in a wine shop or working for a winery. Um, there are many different ways where you can work with wine. Right. Actually, you bring up a very good point that how, as a sommelier, you're marrying not just a passion for wine and knowledge for wine, but then also this interest in helping a guest really have a good time. So, yeah, can you describe what is the job of a sommelier? The job of a sommelier, um, in, the, in simple terms as a restaurant experience, is to make people happy. That mm-hmm. sometimes uh, that obviously should, uh, uh, in our way, include wine, champagne, fortified wines and spirits, coffees and teas as a pure satisfaction and bringing something new to the table when you look after a guest. But then there's a lot of, uh, I would say, back of housework, which enables you in the end to do the good job on the floor. Uh, you need to have a good wine list, which means you need to have a good selection of uh, wines, which suit many different budgets, many different demands. You want to have something which is unknown, but then also some things which are maybe well known. And uh, a good blend of that will make a good wine list. A good sommelier needs to be a team player. Uh, You're never alone uh, in a restaurant. Either you're working with waiters, a restaurant manager and chef, or you have an own sommelier team, uh, which you need to uh, keep happy. It's all about people in any industry, I think. And uh, on top of that, uh, you need to be a little bit of a numbers guy or girl. So you need to be able to uh, work uh, with the financial side of things, working with your budget, seeing if you need to increase on budget on wine stocks. Uh, You need to be able to generate pricing. And uh, on top of that, you need to keep a curiosity about flavors and uh, things surrounding you on the sensual end from coffee over tea over wine. Yeah, so actually, so you laid out quite a few things, right? And these are not these are not very easy to do. So let, let's talk about the wine list because I'm sure that's probably one of the things that you spend a lot of time on building that wine list. So how do you think about like if let's say you were to build your own wine list from scratch, how do you think about it? Um, I think that you need to really do a good research. And think smartly about what kind, where is your wine list going to go? Is it uh, a very smart Michelin star restaurant with a French chef? Or is it uh, a cool wine bar where you have just tapas or snacks? Mm. Or um, is it um, a wine list where uh, you have a proper sommelier team, which is going to do all the suggestions and order takings? Or do you make a wine list for a place where all the waiters will take the order and serve the wines? And then when you made your good research, you try to create the best list uh, on the base of uh, where it's going to go. 
Yeah, so so basically, it has to be in line with the the tone of the restaurant. So, which actually brings up a question that I I had assumed that you would find a sommelier only in very expensive fine dining kind of places. I mean, would you find sommeliers otherwise? Yes, I think that um, sommelier broke a little bit out of uh, that the classic place of a of a fine dining restaurant. I think you. You find uh, I I know so many who run uh, who run the wine program in steakhouses and uh, in uh, sometimes rather posh or rather grungy wine bars. Mm. I know uh, so many who are working as consultants. So really, I would say do restaurant hopping uh, when it comes down to the working hours. Somebody is on all sorts of uh, uh, of restaurants and hospitalities these days. I see. Okay, that's interesting. So then, so then again, coming back to your journey, I would like to understand how does one become a sommelier? So you you developed an interest in wine. You felt that hey, I think this is the kind of thing that I would like to do. How did you develop your palate? Did you go around like drinking a whole bunch of wine? Walk us through yeah. that process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I think. There are two things, there are two parts of the development as a sommelier. Classically, you would have um, some kind of background within hospitality. Mm. Uh, waiter, bartender, maybe a chef. Then you would work alongside somebody who has more experience. While you do that, you would listen to the sommelier doing, making suggestions at the table. So you get used to a lingo, um, a language. And you develop your own skills describing wines. Then it's very important to taste wine and to talk about them. Talk about how they feel on your palate, what kind of flavors you feel you have. That's something which is sometimes a bit tricky to people. People say like, oh, you tell me the smell of red cherries and plums and I don't get that. So I always say, I think that everybody can train the sensuality and the describing part more and more by just being very aware of things you eat and drink. So just before you drink your morning coffee, have a, have a be- deep smell in and uh, maybe do the same thing when you have your coffee in the afternoon. It's unlikely to be the same roast. It's unlikely to be made by the same person if it's not made by you. Maybe you have milk in there, maybe not. And the same thing you can do when you do your shopping. Don't always buy the same apples. Buy different apples, buy different pears. Before you eat any of them, smell them. Smell the skin, cut them open, smell them. Have a smell of your apple when when you left it waiting for you for an hour. Completely different sensations. And while doing that, it's a little bit like a workout, a bit like training. Mm. I think a bit more fun. Uh, and you will develop an, uh, an, an, a, a lot of references that you can use uh, when you smell wine. This is so. Actually, let let's take an example. Why don't you give us an example of your favorite wine and describe it for us? Because I think it'll be interesting to hear how you describe it. My favorite wine and how I describe it. Okay, I think that there. It's firstly you will find very few sommeliers who give you straight away a favorite wine. Uh, where many times cat, cat personalities and don't like to be pinned down on one particular thing. Uh, but um, at the moment there is um, uh, there's a white wine from Spain which is grown on um, a high altitude vineyard outside of Madrid called the Grados Mountains, and it's uh, a white grape called Grenache, which is usually only known as a red grape in Chateau neuf du Pape. And uh, that wine is kind of haunting. It has a perfume which is a little bit more uh, mineral rather than fruity. Uh, 
So you have a kind of a reminiscence of cracked stones and granite, uh, ideas of uh, confit lemon zest of fresh green apple. Uh, on the palette, it's uh, very refreshing and at the same time complex. You don't have the butteriness of a Chardonnay, so it's not it's not very viscous and rich. It more throws up your tongue and gives a very refreshing uh, sensation. At the same time, the aftertaste is long-lasting and very vibrant. Okay. See, so the reason I asked you this was just to give people an idea about the kind of adjectives you would use, right? So you've used things like granite and lemon zest and apple and refreshing and viscous and rich. So uh, how long did it take for you from the time that you started actively working towards this? How long did it take for you to build up your palate? I would say one thing is that you can build it up and the other thing is how you talk about the sensation that you experience. And the thing that depends from person to person, maybe between two and five years to, to be able to fully develop in that way. Two to five years? Okay, I see. So to do this, I, I, it sounds like it's not like you have to go to a school or something. Like, is there something like a sommelier school? Uh, yes, you have, uh, you have very different ways. So you have um, the Wine and Spirit Education Trust, for example, that wine trainings. Then you have the Court of Master Sommeliers, which uh, which which you mentioned earlier in the film Somme. Mm. But uh, you have also a lot of other uh, education uh, systems within hospitality where you can make wine courses. Some of them are shorter, some of them are a little bit longer. Okay. But a lot of that is really about, I think, sharing, working with another professional sommelier and uh, and talking to her or him about how they feel about the wine, tasting wines together. It's also meeting winemakers because people who make wine very often taste quite a lot of wine and drink quite a lot of wine. So they're also very good in verbalizing how wine tastes and how wine smells. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so it almost sounds like, like, you know, while you can do these programs, the more time you can spend working with other sommeliers and other winemakers and traveling, that is probably the bigger portion of your education and building up your building up your skill set. Yeah, it is yeah. absolutely. Um, yes, it, it builds up. It's educational, but it's also super inspiring because usually um, you meet, uh, especially in wine regions, uh, people which are very driven what they do. I mean, what entire year of their work and sometimes more thinking about planting a vineyard and, 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 and raising those wines goes in a bottle of wine. So every bottle of wine you open has the work of one person's or families uh, or mm-hmm. companies one year in there. So they're very passionate and, and it's very inspiring to meet those people uh, in the vineyards and to taste the wines there. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm curious about how you became the head sommelier for Gordon Ramsay. How did that happen? And what was that experience um, like? Yes, well, that was, um, that was, that was a definitely a lucky, uh, lucky coincidence. I arrived in London in 2007. And I started to work for Gordon straight away. I started off in, uh, in one of his or less formal casual restaurants as a sommelier. And after um, a year and a half, I changed to the next restaurant, which was in a very uh, famous hotel here in London called Claridge's. They also had a one Michelin star. Mm-hmm. And there was assistant head sommelier there. And then I moved on uh, to his three star, in a, which is a tiny restaurant. Uh, and the flagship of the entire company, only 14 tables. And the assistant there moved on to become head sommelier somewhere else. So I took the position. 
And because the sommelier, the head sommelier did not stay too long, I got asked if I want to take over uh, the position as head sommelier. So it was a a very fast progression as a a sommelier. And uh, that was in 2010. End of 2009, 2010. That's when I took over. Okay. And how was that experience? Well, it is um, the for I guess a restaurant experience of a three-star Michelin restaurant should be I always find a unique dining experience. So if you have the idea and the aim for every guest that comes into the door to produce a unique and memorable restaurant experience, you work under very high pressure. So. Everything that you do to prepare for the service, from polishing the glasses to uh, to putting the wines from the box into the shelf, is extremely important. You don't want to mix one wine with the other when you top up. You don't want to uh, suggest the wrong wine to the wrong person and spoil the evening. So there's enormous pressure in, uh, in those workplaces. Well, I mean, from what we have seen of but Gordon Ramsay on TV... I can. I don't know. I don't know if he's like that in real life, but it looks very stressful anyway. Uh, yes, I'm. Uh, I have to say, well, TV is TV on one side, and um, and usually uh, he um, ha- uses strong language when he feels something goes wrong. And as we kept uh, the Michelin, the three Michelin stars year 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 in year out, uh, there was not so much screaming and shouting. Uh, <laughs> from him when he came to the restaurant. It was very progressive talk and very, uh, very professional. Right. That's what I can say. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, as a, as a, as a sommelier and then head sommelier, how would you describe the experience that you were trying to recreate for your guests uh, purely from a wine perspective? Purely from a wine perspective, I would say that an experience has to be uh, an experience of the guest and not or not an experience of the sommelier. Mm-hmm. So I would probably see what people are, what is the mood of the guest by having a conversation or not. And I would try to make it uh, seamless, a little bit fun, a little bit educating, but in the end really fitting, suiting the occasions why they're coming. I think occasion was a is a very important topic uh, when you look about a good experience in a restaurant. Hmm. I'm also curious about, I mean, to the extent that you can talk about it, that how are, in, in this case, right? So you were in this case tied to one, not, I mean, not tied, but you were working at Gordon Rams and you were working at, at that one restaurant. But then you also mentioned yeah. that sometimes you could have a sommelier who, and that's what you're doing now, that you are an independent sommelier, so you might be doing consulting, etc. So I'm, I'm trying to understand how are sommeliers paid? Like if I'm working at one restaurant, because my impression is that unless and until you're a really, really good sommelier. So as an example, like for you, you were working in Michelin star restaurants, you were head sommelier for Gordon Ramsay. So I'm guessing you were paid well. So I mean, I, you don't have to share exact figures, but if you can give us an idea. But then you're also ambassador for Chateau Latour and all of these things. So does that count as extra sources of income, I guess? Um, let me let me split that question up. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk uh, very briefly about uh, your progressions and how they financially feed you, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so usually you would start uh, if you have no experience with wine as a, in a position called uh, commis sommelier or assistant sommelier. So you would be responsible for 
polishing the glasses in the morning, filling up the wines and doing service. She would maybe take the order for, for aperitif or for dessert wine. But generally, you would bring the wine that the sommelier sells, open them, taste them. And that's, so to say, your apprentice time. And uh, that would be something which is um, a normal way to celery, I would say. Then uh, the next step is that you are usually a sommelier, um, which means that you have a part of the restaurant or the restaurant that you look after to take orders. And you have a commie working with you. That's all very classic here. I, I'm, just to keep it, e- just to keep yeah, it easy, yeah. I'm explaining it on the exam of a classic fine dining restaurant. Right. So here you would maybe step into salary range of an assistant uh, assistant restaurant manager. Mm-hmm. And uh, then if you are a head sommelier, so that means you have purchasing power, you're creating the wine list, you train your staff, you are um, creating the guest experience from, from, from many different parts, not only that you are taking an order and, and, and serving the wine, that's usually when you end up on the same salary as a restaurant manager. Got it. Okay, I see. And then uh, when you have uh, the the work as an independent uh, sommelier or as a consultant, can pay you in many different ways. I would usually think about it either that you have to fulfill a certain job and you would get a commission for that. For example, this is a restaurant that wants to open and they need somebody to put the winers together and they have a certain budget. Hmm. So you say, okay, I'm just doing the purchasing for you. And from your budget, I might take 10 or 15% of your investment budget. And that will cost, that's what I take away to buy and put the best winers together for you. Hmm. That's one way it can go. Or, for example, maybe you have a returning consulting um, contract. That means you spend two, three or four days a month, maybe more in a restaurant and you would maybe do the, the training, you would update the wine list, you would make, you would also do coaching to the sommeliers are there and that could be a monthly income that uh, that then feeds into you. Got it. So there yeah. are many different ways of looking at it. Also, if you do a presentation or maybe you do a, uh, a guided wine dinner, so it would be uh, a one-off gig and then you would pay be paid maybe for that for that one event. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're, I, I guess if you're working independently, then it's almost like you're running your own business, right? And there can be yeah, exactly. many, many different. Exactly. Yeah. But I guess, I guess this also points to how important it is to build your own personal brand, right? Like you cannot just rely on, of course, it helps if you're working at a Gordon Ramsay or a Michelin star restaurant, that's great for your brand. But it's important for Jan Konetsky to be to be known as Jan Konetsky and not just head sommelier at Gordon Ramsay. Would that would that be uh, accurate? Yes, I absolutely agree. I think that uh, um, the branding of um, let's take me as an example as a sommelier is a very important uh, is a very important part because in, in hospitality, like in many other areas, uh, we are living we are living within our trade and we know the people which perform well. But one thing is obviously to perform well and to do a good job but uh, you also need to somehow communicate your skills you need to communicate your achievement you have an impact with the stylistic choices you have that you make so maybe wines you like wines you talk about when you involve social media for example 
Competitions can be something which is um, uh, also a way of to promote yourself and your own image within the sommelier trade. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so you, I know, are really big in London. How many sommeliers would you say uh, are sort of well-known in London? How many sommeliers are well-known in London? Oh, yeah. we have, um, it's a very big sommelier scene in mm-hmm. London. I would say uh, together with uh, together with New York, Paris, um, probably London is the biggest. So we have, uh, I would say maybe 40, if not 50 well-known sommeliers within, uh, uh, within, within London. But see... I- so you say that's very big, but I think that's a very small figure. Like it's a very telling figure, actually, because it sort of goes to show that if you're entering this profession for you to achieve some kind of like, you know, yeah, I've made it kind of feeling you have to be in those top 40, 50 people. Right. Because otherwise you're you're just someone with expertise in wine. I mean, would you agree with that? Um, I would not necessarily agree with that because mm. It depends on what kind of sommelier and what kind of um, what kind of recognition would you like to have. I you don't necessarily need to have a strong followership to be successful in your business. So I know um, quite a few sommeliers which are not so interested to have uh, a strong followership to talk so much about their achievement, but they're still doing very well within their restaurants or within their consultancies i see okay because there is so there i mean that means that there is enough interest in wine now to accommodate like different levels absolutely i think i think it is super diverse i when i started when i came to london 10 years ago uh there were um most of the sommeliers were uh, or many very many sommeliers were were usually french we're usually male. Uh, we're usually coming from very classic fine dining backgrounds and work in fine dining restaurants. And now it's super diverse. We have, luckily enough, finally plenty of ladies. We have sommeliers from every country in the world. For example, at work, I have, a, um, of course, a French, an Italian. I have a lady from Hong Kong. I have uh, someone from Poland. I have from someone from Slovakia. Mm. Uh, I have Austrian, German. Um, I had uh, there. There are plenty of different nationalities which are popping up. In the same time, you have such a diverse field of dining here. So it is from uh, from super cool grungy wine bars where people have uh, um, tattooed uh, uh, <laughs> t- tattooed necks and wear beards to uh, the classic fine dining restaurants. Everywhere you find so many years and people which are wine professionals. I see. Actually, that's great to know. Yeah. And that probably helps a sommelier also differentiate himself or herself from others, right? Because you have to find your own brand and niche, so to say. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So then I would love to understand a little bit about your typical day. Like, what is a typical day in the life of a sommelier like? Um, I can tell about my typical day Mm -hmm. as a... As a director of wine, I uh, I can talk about that if you like. I can. I'm I'm not sure if it's a typical day for every sommelier. Uh-huh. What I do is I usually would start my day uh, in uh, in the hotel around nine o'clock. Then it would be a mic a mixture of uh, of of checking my emails for offers from one of my over forty suppliers. If there's any particular which I need to replenish or need to refresh, 
Mm. I would have meetings with uh, different heads of departments and maybe different chefs who run different kitchens to look at the challenges or the functions of the day, uh, seasonal changes in the menu, for example, asparagus coming in season, strawberries coming in season, uh, and your menu changes, maybe we need to talk about uh, changing the wine flight or the wine matches. Then uh, I would usually uh, spend time to um, meet the different sommelier teams. I have three different sommelier teams within four seasons at 10 Trinity Square. Hmm. So here I would see if we have all the wines we need for service. We uh, usually talk about uh, the day-to-days, the night before, did we sell any special wines. Then we would go into lunch service where I would spend a little bit of time in all of the restaurants just to see if we have um, uh, guests that we recognize and we know or other guests which uh, it's good to say hello to. Mm -hmm. Usually in the afternoon, uh, I would sometimes meet uh, a wine importer or a particular winery for wine tasting. Sometimes there would be food tasting for new dishes. And um, as the day progresses, then I have usually a lot of uh, ins and outs approving um, wines which were delivered. So working closely with the purchasing team to see that we have uh, the same vintages, that the prices did not change. And then uh, we're going towards dinner service. And uh, uh, many days I'm also around for dinner service, either to serve wines to guests or to help out uh, within, within the hotel in, uh, in the sommelier teams. Yeah, that, that, that's helpful. And actually, you know, this brings up an important point that as you're, since you're the head sommelier, I'm guessing that you have a lot of sommeliers on your team who are serving the guests. So yeah. does it happen that you yourself serve guests sometimes? Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm, um, I, I really enjoy uh, working in the restaurant. So even though I would maybe not uh, work the full lunch or full dinner service mm. or take uh, a section of the restaurant that I look after, uh, I would many times be in the restaurant, meet guests, take a wine order, suggest wines still. But it would maybe not happen every day anymore because they're much more organizational works and much more right. uh, works towards what uh, the, the future of the restaurant and the hotel rather than the day-to-day service. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Okay. So would you call this job a stressful job? Yes. And can you share examples of stressful situations? Yes. <laughs> um, absolutely. I mean, we, the, the first thing is it is not a nine-to-five. So you work... And normally, especially if you go into management, uh, definitely towards more towards 60 hours rather than towards 40 hours. Hmm. You have, um, you're working in an environment where a lot of people are very passionate about what they do. So that means uh, you as a sommelier are passionate about it, the restaurant manager is, the chef is. So, and where there is a lot of passion, there's a lot of will to do their best. There can be friction, there can be a little bit of ego, but there is also a lot of excitement. Uh, then you can have uh, guests which uh, are maybe not happy with your work. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes they can be uh, they, they can be things which are very actual facts. You 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 served something which is not right. Sometimes mm. it can be the perception, or you did not meet the expectations. Um, so uh, guest complaints is uh, is an unha- uh, is a very very interesting part of my job. I think I'm always. Uh, uh, I think complaints are quite exciting because you always have a chance to uh, to turn something which started quite bad into a, a very good direction. Uh, yeah, actually, can you but share an you example s- of something that might have happened recently? Um, 
Yeah, um, I think it's quite a restaurant classic. You have a, um, there's a couple sitting down for two, uh, for, for, with, sitting down uh, at the table, and the young sommelier approaches the table and uh, say, "Oh, what would you like?" And then one of the guests says, "Oh, yes, we uh, we love to have uh, a light red wine." And uh, somebody asks them which country, and then says, "Like, okay, good. Here uh, they don't mind." So and suggests a Pinot Noir which is a light, fruity, soft red, and pulls it uh, as a taste. And then the guest says, oh, that's not that, that's super sour, that uh, doesn't mm. have any flavor. Mm. And then somebody says, oh, well, but you asked me for a light, for a light red wine. And um, so um, just give me a moment, I will get the manager. So uh, somebody walks up to me, explains the situation. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's a very... I always find that a very easy one because there was somebody missed maybe one step to ask what kind of wine does the guest usually drink. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Because if we look at the technicality of of the wine language, a light red is a Pinot Noir or maybe a Blau Frankish or Gamay, completely right. But maybe the guest does not feel that this is a light red wine. Right, right. So I asked I asked the guest. So so what's your what's your light red usually? And they say, "Oh well, we love Malbec from Argentina, which are which are in technical terms rather full-bodied and rich and weighty red wines." So that's a great example. A, yeah. So we, we we changed the wine. Guests were happy. I spoke with the sommelier about it, and um, decided that there was uh, a couple of glasses of wines which I which I had to uh, comp off. Hmm. Um, it, it, there was not a big. There was another big story. It was a learning situation for the ceremony. The ceremony knows now much better how to quiz the guest to get the best answer to a question to serve them best. And the guest learned uh, also a little bit that if they that the terminology is maybe not uh, well understood. Yeah, yeah, but, I it's a great. Example. But I think that but it's not the job of the guest to to learn the terminology that the ceremony is understood. For me. It's very important that the sommelier learns how to read the guest and how to understand terminology in a way to suggest the perfect wine. Yeah, this is a very, very good example because this is, I mean, this field can get fairly jargon heavy if you want it to, especially for a sommelier. So it's, and, and guests will use all kind of like layman's language to describe wine, uh, which might be very different from how someone who has expertise would describe it. So I, I wanted to ask you a question about this before, which is that, sommeliers need to know so much about wine the master sommelier exam is a very good example to illustrate that so how do you keep that so much information in your head um how do you keep so much information in your head um i did um quite a lot of work on uh, on on way, on different ways of studying so i i'm quite visual um because i'm i'm dyslexic so it's very difficult for me to just learn a list of words like the 42 uh, vineyard sites of the village of Nuit Saint-Georges in Burgundy. It's extremely difficult to me to, to learn 42 French names and just repeat them back when I need them. So I would draw maps and uh, put the names of the vineyards within that map and then visually learn. I, I would... Uh, I would work uh, with um, audio and visual uh, technical aids. So I record questions that I need to answer during exams and uh, during competitions and play them back to me on the way to work, for 
example. And mm-hmm. uh, there are, I think it's, it's all about keeping uh, keeping multiple ways of learning and studying. That's yeah. uh, for me a very important part to yeah. to, uh, to remember facts. But also, uh, if I'm very fascinated by a topic, it's much easier for me to uh, to keep information. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it very, very impressive because there are literally thousands and thousands of different kinds of wine. And to be able to identify the vintage and the region and whatever else, I, I don't know how someone does it, but clearly some you, a lot of people are doing it. Um, so I would like to understand, in your opinion, what do you think are the most interesting aspects of working as a sommelier? Most in, uh, most interesting aspects hmm. are definitely working with with guests that you usually not mingle with. I have to say that um, maybe it is because I'm working in uh, always working in very uh, top restaurants, but I met incredibly interesting people over working in restaurants. Firstly, of course, the guests you meet from people which are uh, Nobel Prize winners or uh, are making very important financial decisions, people who are writers, musicians, and that's very, very exciting to, to mix with these people. They see you as a professional. They need you in this way uh, to, 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 to pick a good wine for them. And you have some great conversations. The other, the other aspect is that you are usually working with a multinational team and you have great moments of fun and great moments of learning on that level. And definitely the third thing is that I can try wines, which uh, many other people can't try, (laughs) either because they're very rare or not widely available, or they're wines which are completely outside of my price range. So I would say that are the the three different different reasons of... um, uh, of what makes my job so exciting. Yeah, so I'm curious now, what is the most expensive wine that you've had? Well, let's differentiate between opening a bottle that is very expensive and uh, <laughs> because you, you'd sell it and you open it, taste it for its condition, if the wine is in good condition, and then you would serve the wine. And a most expensive wine that you ever bought for yourself. And they are quite far yeah, away. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, even though even though I have a I have a, a good salary, I would say as a um, uh, as a sommelier, uh, I'm far away of buying a bottle of wine for multiple thousand pounds. And uh, I think the most important, most expensive bottle that I that I've sold was uh, twelve thousand uh, twelve thousand pounds. Wow! Yeah, but that must be quite an experience, right? Like when someone orders a bottle that is that expensive. I mean, yeah, I, I would be quite stressed out. You don't want to make any mistakes, but um, um, in the beginning, in the beginning, you are a bit, you you are quite quite stressed out about that. Yeah. And uh, I have to say, there were great moments where I was uh, not sure. You have never tried the wine usually when it is that expensive, and then you're not sure is the wine right, is the wine wrong. But many times, uh, you can rely on the experience that you have with the wine in that style, with the wine from that region or that producer. And uh, with time, you get very professional about it. And I know it, it is still a special day if you sell a wine like that. But uh, it, it's, it's part of your profession. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, and, you know, this is another important point uh, you're bringing up, sort of, that if you are a sommelier, and especially if you'd managed to rise up in the ranks and work at such great restaurants like you have, 
uh, you have to be someone who's very comfortable working with the kind of people that you have just mentioned, right? Like being around noble laureates or very well-known writers and musicians. Uh, someone might get stressed out just because they, when you're dealing with people of such caliber, they might have their own requirements and quirks. So you shouldn't let that get to you. Uh, no, I always say, uh, I always say, just ask, hmm. ask what, ask what is right for that, right for, for whoever gets in, sits in front of you. Uh, I always give options and just ask them how they like it. Yeah. Uh, are there any aspects about working as a sommelier that you do not like? Um, yes, I would. Um, uh, I would say I would work happily a few hours less a day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I guess you are basically dependent on just how long the restaurant is running and if some... I mean, what adds to the hours? Oh, what adds to the hours? Oh, it's, uh, it's simply um, it's simply the, the fact that usually there's a lunch and a dinner service. And as a sommelier, you do a lot of um, a lot of your work you do in between in between lunch and dinner service. Mm. And, and that adds to the hours. And it's also quite a you need to cover quite a lot of different tasks as a sommelier from the service to guest purchasing to wine list management all right so uh, jan would you like to recommend any resources for someone who is interested in uh, exploring this profession themselves resources um what is so by resources, I mean that let's say let's say I I become curious about becoming a sommelier, right? What can I do to further explore my interest? What can you do to explore your interest further? I would suggest you to uh, talk to people which are in the job. If there is if there is something that you can do, is go to a restaurant and talk to the sommelier. I think that's a very uh, that's a very basic thing to to do and to see but also you need to uh, i would say experience the environment of uh of hospitality and then see are you a person who's happy to 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 work in the service industry or are you a person who's more looking at uh at looking at wine as a profession away from that and that's really i do know very few people who do both I have friends who are wine writers, journalists, and they order work in wine shops or they do wine purchasing there, away from the floor. Um, but uh, uh, or I know people which are working in uh, in the restaurant service and sell wine there. Very few people do both parts. That's something which you need to uh, see first. How much is the service part important for you? How much is the wine part important for you? Yeah, that's a and great that is point. Try, that's try and error, I think. Yeah. Actually, so let's say I were to go into a into a like a nice restaurant and I want to speak to the sommelier. What can I do to actually make the sommelier spend time with me? Because they probably get a number of requests, especially if they're doing well. So can I do something to attract attention or to stand out? Oh, absolutely, oh, absolutely. I think uh, I think if you like to have the attention of a sommelier in the restaurant, uh, show interest in the work uh, that he does. Okay, good. I had a look at your wine list and uh, we ordered our dishes. What would you suggest? Ask for suggestions. Because you have somebody there who is a professional and who spends most of, their, of, of her or his time uh, with getting uh, the, one, the wines that they really think work well together with food in front of you. 
So you're definitely going to get their attention if you ask them to if you ask them to pick something that they think work best. Right. And maybe you have different wines uh, by glass rather than just one bottle, which will bring them back to the table. So you'll be able to ask all your questions. And uh, yeah, we're quite chatty people, so I think <laughs> that will go well. That's great. Yeah. So and and if you let's say you're like a complete idiot about wine, you're interested in it, but you don't have any knowledge. Is that something that you should be conscious about or you should just let the sommelier educate you? Um, I think it's very important to be honest. And if you have any certain likes or dislikes you know about, uh, share them. Hmm. And again, I think it's down to the professional to to read in between the lines. So sometimes you have people, I'm German, so when I come up with my Germanic accent, they always ask me, uh, they always tell me, oh, yes, but please don't. Don't give me any Rieslings. Rieslings are always sweet. <laughs> and um, then you share a little bit of knowledge about Riesling, that actually there's a lot of Riesling which is not sweet, sweet. in the world and there can be very uh, um, very good wines to go with a range of foods. Uh, and in that way, sometimes you make somebody try something which they usually would not or uh, you just avoid the topic and bring them something else. So there is... Um, there are plenty. There are plenty of ways, but I think it's always important to to talk openly uh, if you have a if you have a certain feeling for the topic or you don't know at all. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we are coming to an end now, Jan. Uh, one thing which I am curious specifically, just seeing your career path. I mean, you have clearly done very well as a sommelier. Thank you. Uh, do you recall any moments? or points in your career so far that have been big turning points that have allowed you to see the kind of success that you have seen? Hmm, that's a very good question. I should have thought about something like that a little bit before. I think big turning points were... Big turning points. I'm sorry that I don't have a good example, but you see, um, if something is right for you, you don't feel it's work. And um, many times, even though if I leave after long hours, I did not feel that uh, my job was really work. I feel that it is a profession, something I'm really, I'm really into. And and that's a day-to-day thing rather than a real turning point. Mm, yeah. So I mean, I guess you are basically you you love what you do, and that's what keeps you going. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. Any other, any other advice you'd like to share for someone who is considering entering the space? Um, yes, be if you if you if you consider being becoming a sommelier or a wine professional, just always look behind the label. If you serve a wine, it's as much as is about the person who made it uh, as it is about the person who serves it. And it is on top of that always about the person who drinks it. If you keep that in mind, you are going to have, a, I think, a successful work life. And uh, there will be also a lot of peace in how you feel about things which are thrown at you. All right. Well, thank you so much. This was great. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So that was Jan Konetsky on Life as a Sommelier. 
I really hope that you enjoyed today's discussion. And of course, if you have any questions at all for Jan or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com or tweet at us at LED underscore curator. You can find a list of all the past episodes on our website, learneducatediscover.com. And over there, you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we share updates on new episodes as well as other helpful career resources. So do check it out at learneducatediscover.com. You can also check out Jan's website at jankunetsky.com. That's J-A-N-K-O-N-E-T-Z-K-I.com. You can check out our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash learneducatediscover. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, bye-bye.